Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. Thank you so much for joining us on Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon. It's wonderful to have your company on the show here on LMFM Radio. And let's get straight to business today. And we begin with a really sad and disturbing story. You may recall on our news here on LMFM Radio, it was reported back in October uh, that Claire McKenna, uh, her body was found at 94th Avenue on 214th Street in Queens, New York City. And Claire's parents are originally from North Louth. And her uncle, Nigel, is a very good friend of ours on Late Lunch. And he joins us once again on the line. Afternoon, Nigel. Good afternoon, Jay. Welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, Nigel. But on behalf of everybody here, would you please accept our deepest sympathy to yourself, your brother, uh, Claire's mother, her sisters, and all of the family. We our hearts go out to you, Nigel. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks very much. And and uh, the reason why I I decided to speak to you uh, today was because um, two nights ago I was sitting with my brother in his living room with Claire's identical twin sister Sarah, and uh, and my brother. And suddenly she she shouted out, "Why are they saying these things?" in the newspapers about my sister. No one knows my sister better than me. They wrote that she was partially closed with track marks on her left arm. No one uh, knows her better than me. She repeated it. She didn't take drugs. They said she was fair and face down on the ground. Is that true, Uncle Nigel? And I informed her that it was not true. I explained to her that I met with the EMS workers and that, that, that was first on the scene. And the EMS workers are the, are the ambulance and the crew. So the, the day after Claire's body was found, my brother and I visited the crime scene. Mm-hmm. And I noticed on Google Maps the night before that the houses beside the bus had um, CTV uh, cameras. And um, my brother, uh, you know, he, he visited the houses and I stayed outside and I searched on the cars, drains and trash cans and went through yards hoping to find her phone and handbag, which was not uh, discovered with the, with the body. And while I was outside, an ambulance pulled up, and uh, there was, and they said, "Are you a detective?" And I said, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm her uncle." And they informed me that they got the call around 9 a.m. in the morning that a teenager going to school to be uh, put in the car. 
and I inquired, was she alive when you found her? And they replied that they checked for a pulse first. There was no pulse, and they, they do not move the body. They call the police, and it becomes a crime scene. Mm. I explained that to, to I explained that to Sarah, that the EMS worker said to me. <clears throat> they said her face was facing the sidewalk. They could not get over it and didn't understand why nothing was on the news about it. They said it was she was beautiful and still couldn't get over it. And the, 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 one of the people in the homes invited my daughter in. They showed him the CTV footage and like at 4.30 on October 12th, she was a man all covered up, including his hands and face, pulling a dolly down the street with Claire's body on it. He stops at the bush and pushes the body onto his head and her body so no one could see it passing by. And, and Claire was petite, um, you know, and uh, like lucky enough that that young child or the young man was uh, found her. Um, like, and, and, and then at 3 a.m. in the morning before she was found, Claire texted my brother help. Um, then added, my phone is about to die. We still don't understand why she didn't call him or take a taxi. Mm. Was someone like holding her against her will or was she afraid that the person who'd see her calling? You know, that morning my daughter woke up at 6 a.m. to that text. You can imagine, you know, what was going through his head. Mm. And Dimitri went to where Claire's location was, last shown on her phone. Like they went to uh, the precinct that was close by and we put her missing. And then the next morning, Deirdre went back to the police station inquiring, uh, you know, what any news. And two detectives came out from the back of the office and showed her partial pictures, just hair, clothes, and shoes. She knew right away it was Claire. They informed her that Claire's body was found at 9.27 that morning. But at the time, the ambulance worker spoke of Claire dead. And there was so much crime in New York City, and the police are overwhelmed with homicide. It's getting worse and worse every day. This is just another day in the office for them. So we had to, uh, you know, push the detectives. So there are just two, has two brothers. One is a retired captain, and the other one is actually a homicide investigator for missing children. And I have uh, close friends in the FBI, and, and all of them have called the homicide detectives on the case and informed me that this is not going to go away. Mm. That we'll do whatever we have to do, uh, you know, um, if they don't do it, we'll do it ourselves to find some other people uh, to, to investigate. And, um, you know, it, 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 people say, like, why didn't, you know, I say, why didn't you put up a poster right away and wait a month? Because we're working with the detectives in homicide and we're doing, they're giving us directives. So if, if, if we're listening to them and we don't want to bug them because then you take them away from the case. So we just have to wait, yeah. you know. And the medical, uh, the medical examiner's office is, 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 is a better report is still pending. Um, I, I identify Claire's body, you know, and, and it's like when, you know, someone goes to war and they get killed, like a soldier gets, gets killed, and, you know, the first question the family asks, you know, uh, did, was, did he suffer? You know, and the, the answer is always no. So when I asked that question to the to, 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 you know, like the people in charge, that's the answer I got. So we really don't know, you know, but the funeral director did tell me that they checked, uh, you know, if she was, he could tell that the check unit, the autopsy if I found neck was broken. You know, I it was all the other information. But it's it's just it's just sad, you know, we we, we, we can't get over it. There's so much pain.
Yes, I understand. The pain is unbearable to lose somebody in these circumstances, Nigel. But just to clarify these points, and that's why really you're talking to me today, you want to say that, and and I looked at the news bulletin, uh, thank you, that you sent me earlier today. It's all over the news over there at the moment, uh, and there was a big story last night on TV. This track mark on her arm was a scar on her arm. Yes, she has psoriasis. Yes. It's in our family. Yes, and and people were were jumping to conclusions with this. There's no doubt about it. It was a scar. It is psoriasis, as psoriasis, and that covers off. Yeah. When she was found, Nigel, she was dead at that stage. Yes, she was dead, and that's dead. that's clear. Yeah. And there was also a uh, talk uh, that she was um, she was partially clothed. That's not right, is it? That's not right. No. She was fully clothed. She was fully clothed, yeah. Just to clarify, and I know you want to clarify those points, especially uh, around this. Look, will you tell us about her? She's 26 years of age, a real beautiful young woman with talent, Nigel. Yeah, she's a, she, she has her own music on iTunes, and she you know she would write her own songs and play music, and she, she was recording. She, she was very popular in India for some reason. Uh, they liked her music over there, and... Uh, you know, she, she was making her way. You know, she was mm. like every struggling, struggling artist. You know, she was writing songs, going to performance, you know, making records, and, you know, trying yes. to make a name for herself. She did some concerts in LA, and she was she was stunning. You know, she was beautiful. So, mm. um, you know, we we I don't want to speculate, I don't want to say anything, but I'll probably come back to it at some point and tell you what what I you know think might have happened because we know that you know people would stalk her. You know, and. Um, so we just, it's its hearsay at the moment. But yes. uh, she was beautiful. She would collect food from the, literally the bagels, the bagels on the, on the street. So she would collect the bagels every day from, from the bagel people and, and go and give it to the homeless. So she was a, she was a good soul. Mm, a real good soul, a real good soul, and and as you say, we 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 don't want to speculate today because there is an investigation ongoing. And I know you and I spoke privately, and you have a lot to say on this, which we won't be saying today. But I know what you're saying down the road. Hopefully, you will be able to talk uh, about this. You know, she was a young woman, like, and you talk about New York. You're after saying to me there, you 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 and your family are living there a long time. Deirdre and Derek, and to say again, she's a twin sister of uh, Sarah, and she's two other sisters, hasn't she, Nigel? Yes, she's got Julia, the youngest, and Mary, the oldest. And um, and, and and your family, you you and your brother and and the family uh, have lived in New York for a long, long time, and I know you love the city there. But you were only saying to me, this is a real irony. We spoke maybe a couple of months ago, and we were talking because I've met you and I've been over there, and you were saying to me that uh, New York is returning to the dark days. Yeah, it's really, I think because of everything happened with, you know, the, the defund the police and the police uh, don't get any appreciation for, for their job. They, they're they not, uh, you know, cracking down on crime like they used to. Yeah. The subways are a mess. Um, we don't take the subways anymore because it's just, it's, it's, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're planning to come to New York with your kids, I, would, I wouldn't recommend it. But it's, right now, it's just, it's not. If we know New York, the way people know Dublin and know where to go and what to do, but it's it's getting um, really what like dirty, dirty like the feces in the sub. People, it's just people getting pushed onto onto tracks every day. People getting pushed downstairs. Women are getting attacked. 
uh, for drugs, stuff that you, ha- you haven't seen in the city. That I, like I've never came across, maybe once in the blue moon, but this is happening almost every day. That's really sad. That's really terrible to hear. It really is because it was a place I visited on a number of occasions and always enjoyed being there and felt safe. But, uh, uh, you know, there was a time when New York was a no-go zone. That was all cleared up. And here you're telling me that it's going back to those uh, dark days again. Just back to Claire again, and I I know you don't want to get too much into it, but her going out at night time, you know, socialising, that type of thing, that was normal for her. She was out on on a night out, was she, with friends or do you know anything around that well she was but we we, we know she she did go out but my brother spoke to her the next morning and she was all happy she she was i think it was nine thirty in the morning on monday morning and she was she was moving into a new apartment uh, uh, in the afternoon and we didn't know that she never showed up to our new apartment you know um the stuff was already in our apartment she was just moving, you know, she just had to go there um, and settle in. But all the furniture and everything was there. She just never showed, never got never got to spend one night in the apartment. Um, so we didn't know. And then the next day I got the news, I, I called her older sister, um, Mary, and we called her Mimi. And I, and, uh, I, cause I said, Mimi, did something happen to Claire? Did something happen to Claire? Cause, and she goes, no, no, we, we can't find her. She's, she's, we don't know what happened to her. We're trying to, one sister tends to call her uncle Nigel, and, you know, she was like, you know, she's very kind. She goes, it's nice that you call and you're worried about her. So as soon as we get, we find her, I'll let you know. And then well, at that time, my brother was in the car and he was driving to go pick Mimi up and tell her the news. And he had another two daughters in the car, uh, Sarah and, and Julia. So it was just, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole, this was it unreal at the time. Mm. And it's not like in the movies where the case gets solved and everybody knows in 40 minutes what happened. It's just, it takes time. Yes. And it's heartbreaking. And and every day, is, you know, you just, it's, it's not like a normal, um, you know, so most tragedies, you know, yes. even though they're all tragedies, there's an accident or something happened, you can, mm. but this is, and she was out, she, so we, we, the guy pulled all her records and, you know, I can't get into it, but we we know that something happened, you know, on, on that Monday. Yeah. She never showed up to her in the apartment. Okay. And then that text came on, on, on Tuesday, that, that Tuesday at, at three, 3 o'clock in the morning to my daughter. So, but there was something, where, where was she? You know, why didn't she show up to her apartment? Who, or where was she? Or who, who, she, was, she was in great form, like like a normal 26-year-old, all full of life, looking to, can't wait to get into a new apartment. So something between that phone conversation to go into an apartment on 130 never happened. So something happened during that day on the Monday, and that's uh, where investigations are focusing at the moment. Did you get any of her personal effects? Did they find her phone? No. No. No phone, no, no phone, no handbag. Nothing like that has been recovered so far. Uh, the other thing is that struck me watching that news report last night. Back earlier in the year, in similar circumstances, a man with his face covered up and every bit of him um, moved a body. Is, 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 am I right there? That, that is that. Do you think there's any connection there? I don't know. It was in July. July. Between, yes. Between, 
kind of, yeah, the same. He, he just he 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 rolled a body down the street and he put it in. Um, he hit it in someone's someone's yard. Yes. And, um, like we don't know why why uh, Claire was in how she ended up over there. It's not a place that you know you 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 go, and um, we, we we don't understand. And then this this. So, like, people are speculating and saying there's a serial killer on the loose, you know, just commenting on, on, on comments online and, mm. you know, justice for Sarah, justice for, 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 for Claire. So, but it's, 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 it's all hearsay. It's the speculation at the it moment. It could be a coincidence, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. it may be, maybe linked, may not. Anyway, Nigel, look, we're going to leave it there for today. Uh, I, I, we all hear the distraught, the upset, and I can only imagine with Derek and Deirdre and the girls how this has just devastated their lives. And we're all thinking of you today. And please, God, this investigation moves on and, uh, you know, that we have news sooner rather than later of developments. Uh, we're going to break now and let you go. And afterwards, we're going to hear her because you sent me on uh, the, the two girls performing together on uh, an album they just cut recently. We're going to hear her in a few moments after the break. But for the moment, Nigel... Yeah, you- yeah, that's Claire singing. Yeah, that's her. I have her here. So, so we'll have a listen yeah. to her now in a few minutes. Nigel, take care of yourselves. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Jay. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Claire McKenna, who collaborates with our sister in wonderful, wonderful music, whose body was recovered in New York back on the 12th of October. We were speaking to her uncle, Nigel, on the show just a few moments ago. Isn't she beautiful? Singer, beautiful voice. Shocking, shocking tragedy, really, really is. We think of them all again. I just want to say that this afternoon to the McKenna family. You're in our thoughts, all of you. And hopefully, as I say again, there'll be developments in that case soon. The 27th Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, better known as COP27, is ongoing as we speak. And the leaders of the world have been coming and going. Uh, a lot of interests from different sectors that they're present as well. And they're doing a lot of talking. But will the talking mean action? I'm delighted to welcome back to the show a man I really respect. He's the CEO of Development Perspectives. And just to remind you, their mission is to contribute to lessening poverty, inequality and climate change through transformative education and active global citizenship. I'm delighted to say hello again on Late Lunch to Bobby McCormick. You're welcome, Bobby. Delighted to be here. Well, 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 I was just having a look today at a very prominent man, Johan Rockström. You probably know him. He's a leading climate scientist and he's made three significant calls in the last 24 hours or so to the people attending COP27. And one of those is really striking, Bobby, and I want to put this to you. He's urging climate stakeholders to shift from promises and pledges to real world action. 
that's something I've suspected myself. Would you concur and would you go along with his call there? Oh, completely. I mean, I think he's stating the obvious at this stage. I think we need to move beyond talking about climate action and the need for it and, and really follow the science. We, we really need urgent action and we need it fast. You know, they, it was, when it was in Scotland, it was on our doorstep. It felt really close to us. It's in Egypt this year. And yet, if you followed Scotland and followed this as well, you're beginning to say, hey, lads and lassies, come on. We're, we're all at risk here, every one of us. And as me sitting here today, and I'm sure people listening saying, we feel a little bit helpless, Bobby. Do you know what I'm saying? If the leaders don't take the action. I think so. I think we're seeing a, a political failure at a global level when it comes to climate action. I hope that that doesn't continue. I hope that real political leadership is shown at the end of this COP, but I fear that it won't be. And I think that we're we're entering into a phase now of of really, you know, it's it's going to become the more difficult we leave it. The more the more we leave the the urgent action, eventually the action will happen because we'll have no choice. But at what stage will that happen? And there could be too much damage done by then. So I think it's it's really worrying. But I still am hopeful that politicians wake up to the reality that's facing the planet. His second point was to put money on the table, like real money. He says a hundred billion. A hundred billion is an awful lot of money in, in dollar terms. It's much too little. That you know, emerging, developing economies need to be helped on a pathway towards decarbonisation. Of course, if we like to call ourselves developed as well, we got to, you know, cut down. Completely. I mean, there's a few issues. I mean, firstly, there's the emissions and the, the wealthy countries in the world are causing the pollution. And those that are most vulnerable are usually the poorest in the world and they're feeling the brunt of climate change far more than wealthy nations. So that loss and damage piece is, is part of this COP. It's what the G77, the kind of group of countries that are, are known as developing countries in, in G77 terms, they've come together and have looked for a loss and damage fund because if we if we buy into the polluter pays principle, well, then those who pollute need to really pick up the cost. And what we're seeing at the moment is that the usual powers that be, the wealthy nations in the world, realise they're causing the damage, but are very slow to rectify it financially or indeed in lessening their emissions fast enough. The third main point he makes, and it's interesting, the risk assessment, like we hear about, you know, the global temperatures, sea temperatures, etc. rising, the implications of that and what's been admitted into the air as well. He says that that is not enough. He's looking for more rolling, you know, catastrophic warnings and measurements. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that he's a well-known scientist who studied for years and who worked in the Arctic for years. You know, and he's been talking about this for 30 years. This isn't something he's come up with in the last few days. He's been warning society through parliamentary debates, through press releases, through videos, through films for years about what's unfolding. So so I think we really need to look at the science and that science can't really be negotiated with. It's not something that we can play poker with. It's not like physics and chemistry and biology. These are things that are, are going to happen in a way that humans have to realise that it's not going to revolve around us negotiating with terms with these things. And and during COVID, we realised that, that, you know, COVID itself couldn't be negotiated with. It's the same with carbon emissions. We know when we emit carbon emissions of the scale that we're emitting currently, that's going to lead to catastrophic problems. So we really need to rein it in fast. Today here we sit, you and I in Ireland, and you're based here with your group as well, but you reach out across the world. I, I know 
what I ask you this again you know I've seen reaction here from listeners saying oh sure we're too small in Ireland if we do anything it makes no difference yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting perspective, but un- unfortunately that's not true. Ireland is one of the worst polluting countries in the world when it comes to carbon. We're making a big difference in the wrong way. What we could do if we if we took to political choices is made a big difference in a political way, in a positive sense. For years, Ireland has been well regarded as a humanitarian country that cares about the needs of citizens across the world. And I think in fairness, some parts of society really do. But there's other lobby groups that are very strong in Ireland. They're perpetuating myths around business as usual, that we can continue to drive our cars. We can continue to, you know, produce agriculture in the way that it's produced. We can continue to have cement factories. We can continue to do lots of things but sooner or later that too will have to stop but at what cost and I think that the generations Jerry, that come after us will look at this generation and say we were negligent and that's putting it mildly that th- it could be far worse than negligence I think that we could be accused of. 8 billion we passed you know this yourself uh, yesterday in terms of uh, people living on this planet at this point in time and projected to grow even into the future. Can we, Bobby, can we, you know, adjust? Are are we too, is it too ingrained in us to live the way we've been living? I put this to you, you know, for some people, it's an impossibility. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's an impossibility at all. I think it's very possible, but we, we face choices and those choices are not being made. If we look at Malawi as a country, you know, for, for every one Irish citizen, they're emitting a hundred you know, citizens' worth of carbon in Malawi. What's a 100 times the level of pollution? We look at Liberia as a country in West Africa. It's got far less carbon emissions than County Mead. You know, County Mead is a population of around 190-something thousand. Liberia has the population of the Republic of Ireland. So there's something wrong in terms of the way that we're treating the planet. So what what can we do? Well, we can simply do things like realise that Ireland has got a ridiculous reliance on cars. We need to move away from cars. We need to look to public transport. We need to really invest in public transport, active travel, cycling, walking. Most journeys made are within walking and cycling distance. We need to really look at what we're doing with agriculture. 37% of carbon emissions in Ireland comes from agriculture. And most of that's for export. The world doesn't need more food. And that's a myth that's just perpetuated. Uh, Too much food goes to waste. What we need to do is for the poorest in the world to have access to food. And the rest of us need to realise that we need to be far more careful with waste. We need to cut back on on emissions around energy. So fossil fuel based energy, its days are over. We've got to turn to renewables. But even at that around the country, every time we hear of wind turbines or solar panels, there are objections. And so we we need to kind of realise that there are decisions that we're going to have to look at. And if we choose to continue to do what we're doing then I think we've realised and, and need to realise that we're, we're we're putting people in direct jeopardy and, and I don't think that's that's good enough. The objection is uh, the NIMBY you know mentality not in my backyard when it comes to everything that certainly is a, a huge issue. Come back to the cars where do you stand on the electric versus if we you know if we move away from petrol and diesel to electric is that a positive move? 
Do you know, I, I think the, the, the kind of commitment of this current government around one million electric cars, I, I don't think necessarily is, is a silver bullet. I think that we, we need to look at other ways of moving people around the country and that, yes, have electric cars, but I would argue to have less of them. I think electric bikes would be a far more sustainable solution. Uh, it takes up less space, far less expensive, less carbon in terms of its productions, battery power. And if you're running it off, you know, renewable energy, that's far more sustainable and health benefits as well. Remember, we're, we're also facing health problems. So I think that like if we look at our A&E departments around the country, even getting older people gently cycling on electric based bikes, um, you know, it's got other types of benefits. And I really do think that we need to look towards sea changes in our behaviour. So for me, I think electric bikes offer more in potential terms, you know, right across. If we look at Scotland, Inverness, as an example, is a, is a town not too dissimilar in size to Drogheda, electric bikes all over it. You've got, you know, 80 cent or the equivalent of 80 cent for approximately five hours use so you can go anywhere you want. Uh, you don't need to have your own bike. You can just pick up the bike from the hospital, go to the train station, drop it at the bus station, go to the university, leave it there. So I, I think that they're the types of solutions we need to really seriously look at. But when you look at even, say, Drogheda and County Loud as an example, we're, we're even far behind in terms of active travel other counties. Whereas if you go to Cork as an example, active travel is far more supported. So I think we need to look closer to home in the northeast when it comes to what can we do differently. You mentioned renewables and wind is probably our greatest resource when it blows. Uh, that is the thing. And it blows a lot on the west coast, probably more than us here in the east, Bobby. But, you know, in, in that whole area and the storage of it then, because this is the challenge, you can, we have a windy period and we have loads of it and then suddenly the winds drop and we don't. That's a challenge, isn't it? Completely. I, I think it's it's really interesting though when you look at Dundalk IT. So we've got a, a higher education institute on our doorstep and it was one of the first colleges right across Europe that had a turbine and a battery. And that so much of its energy for the campus came from the wind turbine, but and its associated battery. And and it seems as if we've kind of stagnated since then. That's that's a good few years ago now. Why why doesn't Diffie have one here in, in Drogheda? Why doesn't the further education centres in Dunboyne? Why doesn't it have it in Ophie? So like I think that we have the technology. We know what to do. We have the finance. The question is politically, why aren't we doing it? I think it was Larry Stout was the man behind Dundalk, wasn't it, at the time? Absolutely, uh, yeah. Brilliant man, way ahead of his time as well in, in his thinking there. But you, you make a valid point there. To, to the individual listening to us today, in our homes... What can we do? Can we, can we make a difference starting with the power of one? Well, of course, absolutely. And I, and I think we can. And to go back to the transport, I think that that's a big one that we can make. To, rather than if you've got a two-car household, the next time you come to, you know, looking at a car, m- maybe look at an electric bike. Of course, it's easy to say if you're living in a rural area and you don't have public transport, maybe then that isn't as much of an option. But I, I think there's a danger in all of this, though, sometimes, Jerry, about looking at the individual. Individuals can make choices, as an example, eat less meat is a simple one. Not not cut out meat completely, mm. but just eat a little bit less, I think, would be beneficial. But at the same time, I think that most of our problems are not at the individual level. Individuals are not the ones doing the damage. You know, the second biggest entity of carbon emissions in this country is a couple of kilometres away, the cement factory. 
we, we, we've got structural problems in Ireland around things like data centres. These are the, the entities that are doing the damage. It is not the individual, really, that is doing the immense damage. It is much more a structural thing, the way our economy is based, the lobby groups that keep certain vested interests happy. We don't have an aviation fuel tax. That's, that's truly bizarre. So you and I will pay more in terms of carbon tax than Michael O'Leary will for Ryanair. On what planet does that make sense? We need to really kind of tax that which is polluting. So in most countries, aviation is a key contributor. Why isn't aviation fuel taxed? And then I can hear them saying, but Bobby, I'm going to Spain next week. Leave the fares as they are. But look, seriously, when you say that, never knew that. That is a fact that there's no tax on it. Yeah, and in fairness, it's it's a kind of a false subsidy because in effect, you know, aviation doesn't have to compete then mm. with trains and boats and all the rest on an equal playing field because they all pay. So why is it that aviation could get away with it? And of course, Ireland benefits largely from the aviation industry. So you can see why there's political and economic interests at play. But to go back to the point of the individual, yeah. the individual is not the entity doing the damage here. And and I think it's a, it's a political avoidance sometimes to blame the individual by saying, oh, get yourself a bamboo toothbrush, you know, that'll that'll really make your efforts worthwhile which is of course great make your individual changes but don't forget that at a political level at a structural level there's an awful lot not being done Bobby we're going to leave it there for today you're tremendous every time you come in I learn something uh, different from you but uh, from DP's point of view um, you're looking for people to absolutely I mean you know we're always looking for people to get involved with our work because these are the types of issues that we deal with and without people our power is reduced so with people our power is increased so the more to get involved and behind these issues the more power we can speak with so please get involved development perspectives check them out they're all over online and you can get in touch with Bobby and his crew they'd be delighted to hear from you for today in the context of COP27 it's time for everybody to cop on especially at the highest level I hear what you're saying Bobby thank you for joining me on the show thank you Jerry. I'd say you're all doing the jitterbug around the kitchen at the minute of that one it's a great song isn't it the late, great Amy Winehouse and Valerie and your late lunch this afternoon. The bingo jackpot, 6,800 next week. And if you play, you could win a turkey and hand voucher every day in the lucky number promotion, lmfm.ie for your books and all the outlets across the northeast where you can buy them. It's all there and good luck to you. That'll be a nice win before the Christmas time. Michael's been on giving out saying, ah, oh, Jerry, yourself and Bobby is all one-sided there. What do you want me to do, Michael? Bring on the polluters as well and give them more time. It's quite obvious we're in trouble in the planet, Michael. We are, no matter what you say. And we're just, we're digging a grave for future generations. It's as simple as that. And we've got to change. We've got to change. But I hear what you're saying, Michael. Michael doesn't agree with Bobby uh, or anything he says. And uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I think the science and the world we live in and the weather and everything to do with it proves, proves beyond doubt that uh, we're destroying the planet as human beings. Louise, what I- what's the story with Alexa? What's the crack with Alexa, Louise? She's going to have an Irish accent. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Amazon have been working really hard over the last few months to get the accent right. An Irish accent. An so- Irish accent. And it's only going to be a lady's voice. But I just can't understand this, that, for example, they say that... It, that um, Amazon has spent months ensuring that when activated certain sounds will differ from their British and American variants. 
For example, words ending with G-H-T will sound more like the Dublin sh than the British T. So I never realised that if we were, you know, going out for dinner, we'd be meeting at eight o'clock. <laughs> that sounds shish to me, whatever you're saying there. <laughs> yeah, so G-H-T. So we say Slice. thought, thought instead of thought, do we? Thought. Eight instead of eight. Eight o'clock. Yeah, well, they're they're saying here oh, that's sending GHT will sound more like the Dublin SH <laughs> than the British I think, T. I think they're going back to the quiet man. <laughs> oh, and also the the um, new technology will, will um, be able to recognise our phrases, so we'll be able to say, "What's the crack, Alexa? What's or, the who's crack, your man, Alexa?" I have a pain in me. You know what, Alexa? Yeah, they'll understand all that, will they? <laughs> they'll understand all that. Yeah. I will, in me. <laughs> I will, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she'll leave Alexa alone. So we'll have to get loads of Alexas for Christmas there presents. There you go. So when you talk to it, it'll talk back mm. to you in the lingo you're telling me now. It's yes. as simple as and that. And it applies to all Echo smart devices mm. in Ireland. Do you know the thing in the car we asked, which gives you directions? Oh, it never gives me the right directions. That's it not brings a, me down. That's, that's a different oh. lady to Alexa, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know who that is. She's well, the Google Maps altogether. you're talking, is it? Yeah, yeah. You know them, they tell you, in 300 metres, turn left. Mm. Sorry, you've made no a wrong turn. turn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes, you do, for sure. And every time you're late, it definitely sends you the wrong way. It does, it does. Anyway, she's going to sort us out our next guest. Yes, Clodagh McComiskey is coming your way on Late Lunch. He is a well-being expert. My next guest specialises in helping people work their way through highly stressful situations in life. She's a well-being expert and founder and director of Spiritual Earth. And I'm delighted to welcome her to the show. Clodagh McComiskey, welcome to Late Lunch. Hi, Jerry. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Well, there's nothing sure, as you know, that in life we hit these speed bumps from time to time. It affects us all. And I suppose dealing with the problems is very important to our good health and well-being. And I'm just thinking at the minute, Claude, the, um, the, the, the job losses in the tech companies are hitting hard on people. Take that for an example. You're moved from your comfort zone of being employed to being unemployed. What's the things you should really focus on when that happens to you? Well, I suppose the 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 important thing is to kind of maybe take take a breath, yeah, take a step back and um allow yourself to process that. You know, that will feel different for different people. Um, you know, for it it also depends on what your current circumstances are, you know, in terms of the financial consequences, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you know, um, but first of all, it's to take it to take a breath. Mm. And if you are feeling, you know, frustration or anger or, you know, in a sense, a loss like that, it can be a bit like a grieving process. Mm. And um, so, you know, there's different stages in that process. You know, people will often get angry or depressed or um, they might even be in denial first. And then you move yourself around to actually accepting the situation. So to give yourself space and time to actually process it, yeah. But I suppose, first of all, is to assess the immediate things. Are there, um, you know, are there practical things you need to do? You know, maybe your employer will be giving you support to transition to the next thing or retraining or, you know, make sure you don't miss out on opportunities. Um, Check your financial situation. And once you have the immediate things taken care of, try and just take a breath. And, you know, Jerry, what so often happens in life is that, 
you know, that phrase, a breakdown is a breakthrough, or, you know, very mm. often when things happen, um, initially um, it shows up as a problem, but in actual fact, we often look back at, at, over those things a few years later and think that that was the best thing that happened to me. So you know, true. Than being the worst. Yeah, so true. And I, I've experienced that myself in the in life. When you're in the moment, in that crisis, uh, it's dealing with that. And then when you move away from it and reflect, and, and maybe there's a lesson in that, isn't there? There's a true lesson in that, Loda, for everybody. Yeah, sometimes the worst thing that happens to us is actually the best thing mm. that happens to us, right? Mm. Because when we can when we can transform that um, and we turn that struggle or that stress to a strength, um, it transforms the situation, but it also um, gives us huge confidence um, because then we know that we are resilient and that we can handle adversity in the future, um, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes, you know, because if we are in a comfort zone, we can kind of go with what we can tolerate or because it's comfortable, but it's not actually growing us or inspiring us or, or whatever. So it, when you get stopped in your tracks like that, it's an opportunity to take a step back and regroup and reflect and redesign your life um, if that's what you want to do. And some people who might lose their job might want to go back straight into the same thing, but other people might want to start a business, you know, or they might want to redirect their career or, you know, go for a promotion or or, or whatever. And so I suppose it's, it's to just take a step back and to decide what do you want, um, providing um, for whatever your circumstances um, allow for? You know, because some people yeah. might need to get back to earning money within a month or two months or three months or, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm. Well-being is so important. I think it's the most important thing for all of us in life to feel well in, in mind and body. I think you just can't put a price on that. But when you look today, Gloda, at, you know, this world of comparisons that we have now, especially driven by social media, where you just look at things and think, God, I'm, I'm falling well short there, or the constant striving to be, to be better and having more and go, go, go. You know what I'm talking about? Do you come across these as underpinning, you know, uh, poor well-being? Um, I definitely think comparison, you know, the, the person to compare yourself with is maybe yourself, you know. Mm. Um, and, you know, to be uh, to be an improved, I don't mean to be better or a bigger bank account, but, you know, sometimes just being more compassionate, being more self-kind, yes. that's an aspect of, of better. Um, I feel that one of the big things that people do these days is that we don't actually take breaks. You know, a lot of people are just busy in their minds, mm. yeah, as well as the comparison piece. People are busy in their minds the whole time and they're trying to, you know, look after everybody else or always trying to fix things in their heads. And sometimes we, if, if you want, to, if you have a machine, I'm a big fan of meditation, Jerry, mm. and or, you know, doing something to to just take a genuine break um, on a daily basis. Because when you can step back, that gives you the wherewithal. When you can have a clear mind, you can step up. Yes. And I think one of the biggest problems also, in addition to the comparison and um, what the social media does is it makes people busy all the time. And they, they rarely uh, get an opportunity to recharge the batteries. And, you know, relaxing isn't just sitting in front of the couch. I'm talking about proper relaxation where your mind relaxes, where you're not trying to fix anything, sort anything, solve anything or escape from anything. There's, the, there's no pressure 
Yeah, we should, if we can visit that place of calm uh, in ourselves every day. Um, I often say that when there's chaos outside and there's chaos inside, um, you'll end up going around in circles. But when there's chaos outside, but you're still inside, you'll find you'll be able to navigate your best way forward in any situation. Stillness, calm, switching off, working, all all those things. Yes. You have that in your voice, may I say. Yeah, <laughs> you have. Thank you. You have. You have, and I, I, I get it. I surely do. Your business is spiritual, Earth, and just to, by extension to what you're saying there, obviously, you know, connecting with ourselves and the Earth. Talk to me a little bit about that, and and where that comes into play with what you do. Okay, so I suppose the, um, just based on my own life experience, I think sometimes, and it would have happened to me. I got so kind of stressed about what was going on in the world and where I was matching up and where I wasn't and a lot of self-judgment I, I believe that there's everybody has treasure, everybody has talent, everybody has something unique inside them and I think um, the important thing in life is when we get connected to our own purpose and we develop our own gifts, our own talents and I suppose that the name is about that, it's, it's helping people bring what's inside out and that they can develop that, not in a, you know, kind of a, a way where it's a bigger bank account or, you know, that that's the focus, but just where there's, there's meaningful growth at the level of mind and emotions and spirit and that you have a purpose and there's a reason to get out of bed and you're excited by life and, and all of that type mm. of an approach. And you bring a lot of experience because you worked extensively yourself in parts of the world where real disaster was part and parcel of life every day. Um, Yeah, I worked in the aftermath of floods, droughts, war, tsunamis, earthquakes, um, HIV epidemics. So I worked in places where people had, you know, serious um, life, where life and death was a reality um, in, in some cases on a daily basis for people. And I learned a lot about myself and about humanity and people in those circumstances. And one of the things that I learned about myself is that if you put me in very stressful situations, I'll rise to the occasion. But sometimes for me, it was the more smaller stresses. And by not dealing with smaller problems, they can become big problems. And... um you know, it's important to just deal with life as, as it shows up um, as you can and um, to have patience with yourself to work through things, obviously, as well. Um, but uh, that has given me a framework and a context for understanding, you know, stress um, at any level. And, you know, it's not so much about what happens outside. It's how you perceive and how you react or respond to what's going on. That's how much um, stress you feel. Mm. And, um, you know, some people will adapt very well in difficult situations. In some cases, they're called the adaptive, you know, people. And the more adversity, the you know, the stronger they, they, they become. And and then other people, we wither away, you know, when, when the pressure becomes too much, um, we start to doubt ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. But all of these resilience and all of these types of skills, they can be learned. Yeah. And, uh, and that's that's the point, is that we can all develop them at any age or stage of life. I'm just thinking, shouldn't this be taught, really, from a, a, an early enough age to children and teenagers and young adults? This makes sense, because 
this is one thing we're all going to experience in our lives, come what may, and you can see it, Claude, at the minute with what's happening in the world. It is very stressful for a lot of people, and I'm sure you're encountering it as well. Wouldn't that be a, a good subject to make mainstream? Yeah, um, absolutely, to have that ability to handle disappointment mm. or uncertainty or change, you know, to, to have the life skills, to have the flexibility in the mind um, to adjust to circumstances. You know, I think, you know, as a Darwin, he says it's not the, or it's attributed to him, it's not the strongest or the most intelligent of the species that survives, it's the ones that are most adaptable to change. And, you know, people who can adapt, even in business, um, you know, people who can adapt to opportunities, to being adaptable, being flexible in your mind is a hugely valuable um, life skill. Hugely, hugely valuable. And just um, just also educating people that everybody has ups and downs, you know. Um, and, you know, uh, sometimes I use the metaphor of a swan or a duck. You know, most of us, we can appear from the outside that we're, um, you know, calm on the surface, but underneath, you know, we're paddling like crazy mm-hmm. just to to stay still and everybody has challenges and you, you know they really do and once you get under the bonnet um, with anybody you can can understand the, the, the difficulties um, that we all have so I think it would be a really good life skill mm-hmm. to educate people to train people to give people the tools early on yeah yeah um, to, to bounce back um, I absolutely couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you work, I know, with individuals, businesses. Do you do you talk to groups and that, and and in school situations yourself, and bring your work there? Um, I would, yeah. I work quite a bit with teachers. I do some with the different education centres, mm. and I would also go into schools. Um, I'm a member of my Rotary Club, so I sometimes go into schools through the Rotary Club yes. um, of Wexford. And I would also just go in as well uh, myself in a in a professional capacity. Mm. No, uh, you're needed. You really are needed. And uh, to bring what you have to a wider audience uh, would make a real difference in many, many people's lives. I, I am absolutely sure of that. If people want to find out more about you, Spiritual Earth, is that the place to go online to check you out? Yeah, so they can go to, um, if people are on Twitter, my handle is just my first name at, at Cloda. Kaloda, yeah. And um, my um, website is spiritualearth.com and I also have an Instagram and a Facebook page, um, Spiritual Earth. Yes, and she's a great Twitter arty and a great friend of our, uh, the wonderful tweeting goddess who was with us, Samantha Kelly, uh, earlier on in the week. And the name, just again, is Kaloda, C-A-L-O-D-A-G-H, McComiskey. And you'll find her on Twitter there as well. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Likewise, Jerry. Real pleasure talking to you and hello to everybody else out there. Um, great, great connecting. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Claude McComiskey there. Wellbeing expert on Late Lunch. The Late Lunch Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. This is, of course, Elvis Presley this week and 1956 Elvis mania had really taken hold with Don't Be Cruel and Hound Dog both making number one in the States for a combined 11 successive weeks. Concert appearances drove audiences wild to such an extent a judge in Jacksonville sat in session and ordered Elvis to tame his act. 
Well, can you believe it? Incredible, isn't it? Three appearances on the Ed Sullivan TV show, the most popular in the States at that time, broke all previous TV viewing records, attracting 82% of the total viewing audience in the States, equivalent to an excess of 60 million viewers. Incredible, incredible figures. His next album was Mega. He had more songs in the US charts simultaneously than any other artist since charts had first begun. Wherever he appeared, security had to be ramped up as fans became absolutely riotous as soon as the King began to perform. The world had never seen anything like Presley. In 1958, he was drafted into the US Army, where he served until early 1960, when he was honourably discharged. That two-year career hiatus did nothing to diminish his popularity, as fans clamoured to see, hear and get a piece of the King. Movies, hit singles, albums, sold-out concerts and TV and radio appearances saw Elvis dominate the 60s as the number one artist in the world. Today, my song is from 1962, and it's this one. Return to Cinder Return to Cinder I gave a letter to the postman He put it in his sack Bright and early next morning He brought my letter back She wrote upon it Return to Cinder Address unknown Return to Cinder Yes, Elvis Presley, my Artist of the Week on Your Late Lunch. Return to sender the song today and I'll pick another song to finish off a week of Elvis tomorrow on the show and tell you more about the man. Incredible he was indeed. A phenomenon. Just reminding you, the Frostville Winter Festival returns to Dundalk Town Centre with a host of festive events planned across Friday and Saturday. It gets underway on Friday evening from 4 to 8 with the switching on of the dazzling Christmas tree at Market Square and the spectacular Carnival of Light Parade weaving its way through the town's historic centre. Elsewhere across the weekend, there are magnificent Christmas illumination shows, the Little Elves Fun Zone, Artisan Markets, live music and much more festive magic. Festive magic. And it's all free. That's the thing about it. It's all free. The Frostival Winter Festival in Dundalk at the weekend. The place to be magic indeed as we uh, build up and uh, move in towards the festive season. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Yesterday, we spoke to the most inspirational woman for 2022 in Louth, Anne McVeigh. Mead has its hero as well, and he's joining me next. As I mentioned, we spoke to Anne McVeigh yesterday, who was named the most inspirational person in Louth. Today, we head across the border to our other franchise county, of course. Very important to us, the county of Mead. And the man named most inspirational Virgin Media Gallery Tale is the wonderful John O'Brien. Hello, John. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm Thanks good. Very much. Great to talk to you again, and congratulations. Well deserved. Ah, uh, thank you very much, Jerry. Um, yeah, it feels feels a bit weird. Uh, feels very, uh, you know, I'm very overwhelmed and kind of very kind of surprised and shocked with the um, with the response that it's been getting. To be honest, like my phone has been has been kind of going a bit crazy since yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But yeah, um, kind of nearly lost for words in a way, but very uh, grateful and, and privileged, to be honest. It's, it's lovely lovely to get recognised in that way. I ain't one bit surprised. And just yeah. reminding listeners today of your story, your life changed when you went for that bag of chips back in 2012, John. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. Um, yeah, 10 years, uh, it's, it's hard to believe. Like a lot of... A lot of ups and downs since then, but um, thankfully now you know receiving receiving an award like this, like it's it gives it gives me a huge lift, and um, you know, like as I said, the messages that are coming in, some people might I'll get back to everyone. I haven't got back to everyone <laughs> yet because I just you know, this, it's been a bit mad. But uh, yes, no, it's 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 really nice. Like it's. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it, it's great. Like, and even get, getting the response, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised to get it. Like, I, I'm just involved. I try my best with, with, um, with my football club in Nobber and one of the lads there, Paul Mead, actually nominated me for this. And uh, I got a shock when I got a phone call a few weeks ago to say I was a winner. And no, it's. I'm just really grateful and mm. delighted. <laughs> yeah, but you see, you do inspire us, John, because I mentioned going for that bag of chips. You were involved in a life-changing car accident. Uh, you have spinal cord injuries, which leaves you paralysed from the chest down. But this hasn't stopped you. Like you mentioned your local GAA club and look at the success you've enjoyed in recent years. You're PRO, a team selector there, and you're actually club captain uh, of the number side. And you give that club so much. Um, yeah, I suppose like I, I'm PRO. I have been the past year, and then involved as as team selector. And um, I was club captain there previous years. And it, yeah, it's just something I really enjoy. Like I've, I've said it like openly to, to everyone in the club. Like it gives me a lot of enjoyment. Um, I only I do it because I enjoy it. But it, it, you know, I get a lot out of it. Um, mm. And I suppose I enjoy like talking. Uh, talking to a group of people and trying to trying to motivate them, I suppose, like in, in regards to the, the adult football team and being part of the group on, on match days, especially on championship days and the buzz around that, the build up and um when things go well, like it's 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 great but you you have your ups and downs like life as well. Um but yeah, it's something like I, I enjoy I enjoy that aspect, you know, of kind of you know, trying to get the best out of others and maybe passing on any sort of knowledge that maybe I have. Um, and at the minute, I suppose I'm I'm lucky to have that that opportunity with with Nobber Football Club. And yeah, so I suppose maybe I'll get more opportunities down the line to to. Uh, yeah, just to try and get the best out of others as well. You sure will. And, and you know, the, when you mentioned there your role in, in motivating the team, you picked yourself up from a life-changing, um, you know, that life-changing accident. You got on with it, you've adapted, you never let it get you down. And you went back to education because I know you've studied in areas such as social care, counselling and sports psychology. You see, that's what Nobber have. You're the secret weapon, John O'Brien. Uh, no, I don't know about that now, but um, no, yeah, I've, I, I suppose I got back into education, um, and uh, yeah, I'm lucky, like you know, that I, that I, I suppose I'm able to do that. And did a few diplomas, uh, sports journalism, and kind of uh, broke into that. Then with doing a few things for Hogan Stand, and, and mm. continued to do podcasts for me, GA, 
and uh, then I did sports psychology, social care, and now I'm currently in second year in PCI College in Dublin doing my degree in counselling and psychotherapy. So, yeah, um, yeah, the plan is to be uh, hopefully to um, be a qualified counsellor psychotherapist in, in maybe three or four years and and hopefully I can I can help others along with that and, and um, I suppose developing my, my public speaking. I've done a few courses online during lockdown with that as well. So along with, with those few things, uh, yeah, hopefully I can I try my best and hopefully I can keep going. <laughs> Certainly you, you can. Any thoughts? I didn't mention to Anne yesterday, your counterpart in uh, County Loud. Uh, congratulations again. You, you've uh, be, uh, been also uh, part of the winning is also a thousand euro uh, in, to hotel somewhere in Ireland. Any thoughts on that yet, John? Uh, yeah, it is uh, a, lo- a lovely prize. Like it's, yes. uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I'll go. Like I might go I might go maybe up to Dublin, maybe if there's a game on, possibly in the Aviva or something like yes. that, or to a concert in in the Tree Arena, and maybe integrate it in with something like that. That was that's what I'm thinking so far. Good. I suppose I, li- I live in the country, so mm. um, maybe a, a change to the city for a few days might be nice. Ah, you'll fit perfectly. City slicker John O'Brien for sure. Anyway, congratulations to you. Just wanted to say hello to you today, as we did to Anne yesterday. Thoroughly deserved. Mead's most inspirational, John O'Brien from Nobber. Best wishes to you, John. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thanks for chatting to me today. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful John O'Brien there. What an inspirational man he is. That's a lot on late lunch today. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. Stay with us. On tomorrow's show, we meet the insomniac gardener. We do indeed. David Sheehan covers off the sport with a little help from Louise, perhaps, this time round. Comedy on Friday coming your way and your TV theme competition as well. But we leave you today in the company of the wonderful Harry Styles. We'll see you tomorrow for the final show of the week. One thirty. Take care. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. 
wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. <laughs> 